0: Greetings, fellow citizens of Disneyland. Bricky here with my friend Tony for this week's podcast. What we're talking about today is Disney's newest tricks to get everybody to spend as much as possible. I love tricks. I love Pepper's Ghosts. So <laughs> I'm curious. Let's let's do this. You're all in. Something I've been fascinated about ever since I became a fan of Disneyland. And what drew me in is I have little to no uh meaningful connection to the movies. I love the Disneyland park as an art piece. I love the way that it was designed as a lifelong illustrator and designer. When I walked into the park, I literally felt like I was walking into one illustration after the other. I have the trained eye to see the compositions of Disneyland and go, Whoa, this is built just like an artist, uh drawing board. Like I can see the composition of an artist in this piece that I'm actually walking through and living in. That was the thing that drew me into Disneyland. The next thing that drew me in was the business practice as a lifelong entrepreneur. And as somebody who's been a serial entrepreneur, only ever really worked for myself, the business practice of Disney was fascinating to me. And I find Disney in an interesting spot that supply and demand is one of the rules of business, right? If Mm -hmm. you have a lot of demand, Uh, then you can sort of raise your prices, right? Like if there's people willing to pay anything, well, you can just keep going up and up. But what's interesting with Disney supply and demand is, is it doesn't seem that they can raise ticket prices enough to keep the park empty. Like they, every year, you know, for over the last decade, they have raised the prices like clockwork and it has put little or no effect on how busy the park feels. So, what then they did because the idea is you just can't have it so full of people that it's unusable, unlivable. So it's it's not that they're trying to like empty the park out, it's that they want a limited audience. And by limited audience, I mean you want to have enough people in your park where they feel free to spend more money while they're there because if it's just all assholes and elbows nobody can get around to do whatever they want to do right like well the line's too long i'm not going to go buy a drink or this was too long i didn't buy merch and we couldn't get on any rides so we left early and even though you might get a ticket price off that person and parking you didn't get all the other upsells and they probably won't come back So you need to have a balance where it's not enough to get caught up in gridlock. It's enough people so you can spend. So really what they're looking for is a quality of people, not a quantity of people and Don't get me wrong, when I say quality, it's not your morals, you know, like, oh, we want people to just look this way or dress this way. No, they want a a quality based on what you're willing to spend. Another way of putting that is they want to make each guest as valuable as possible to spend money. So one of the ideas they came up with on we will raise our prices annually, but what we will also do is we will squeeze more out of the current customer. And so there's now two tiers of, of pricing structures that are going on in the park. There's the traditional things that we have always spent money on, admission to get in, food and merchandise. But now there's this second tier of pricing. And it's insane because it's not raising prices. It's not saying, okay, well, a chicken sandwich was $5. Can we get it for six fifty? dollars It's Charging for things that were always free, which I think is the biggest magic trick financially that they've pulled off because they have now uh, found new pillars of financial success that wasn't even there before. Like somebody literally walked through the park and said, Okay, if we can't price these fools out of the gate, can we then get more money off of all these other items to at least? Slow it down, right? Everything costs more. People do less. Therefore, the park is at a balance to where we can get more money per guest. So one of the very first things that we'll talk about, and we won't go into this too too deep, is and everybody knows this, is a thing that used to be free. That now the magic trick of Disney costs money is the lightning lane or pay per ride for Rise of the Resistance. The Fast Pass used to be a free item. Now it's an upcharge.
1: Yeah, it's... uh has gone the way of the dinosaur and it's unfortunate too because um in both disneyland and disney world it was a extremely efficient system i'm still very much a lines all day like i think you eliminate just and just keep it simple lines it works the best but I thought one line fast for pass system, yeah, one, one, one line for everything. Yeah, works the best. But the fast pass system worked great, especially for Disney World. You got an, an extra added value with that because you could uh, reserve stuff through the app before your trip. I think right. it was like sixty days out. Right, you could actually make your reservations and everything, which was great. Obviously, Disneyland was still a little bit old school with the paper tickets and everything. Different, but customer. still, yeah, totally, yeah, totally different system, but. Uh yeah, it was free. It was free. There you didn't have to spend any money. You just you did the thing and you know you got your time slot and then you get to enjoy that attraction. So now that we're seeing that, and again, this has been hashed over millions of times by right now by with by
0: other channels and everything, but it's still a sore spot for a lot of people. Well, when you think about it they have hit this moment where they're raising ticket prices, right? So now the new goal is, well, how can we make more money with this captive audience? So I just did like basic, basic monkey math, right? These are just basic numbers, which I think I am conservatively low because I don't want to say they're making billions of dollars. I would like to be low, but just to set a number to give people an idea. So if you got 20 or I'm sorry, if you got 10,000 people a day, to buy a $20 Genie Plus Lightning Lane, just the basic service out of the Disneyland Park, that's an additional $200,000 a day. And I'm probably low on saying 10,000 people, but just literally by saying, well, what if we got everybody to pay $20 for a basic Fast Pass? Boom, $200,000 a day. If you get another 5,000 people to buy Rise of the Resistance, that's another $100,000 a day. So if you take 30-day month, that's nine million extra dollars a month, and I think that I'm low on that. I think it'd probably be more, somewhere in the ballpark of fifteen to eighteen million. But over a year's time, with just the the bare bones numbers, that's a hundred and eight million dollars a year, which is just an easy way to say a thing like FastPass. Let's just add a minimal amount of money to it, and we can easily squeeze up. And so essentially that's another way of taking the ticket price and slowly making it more for those who are willing to pay more.
1: Yeah. And to your point previously, how obviously with the reservation system, uh, it's not so much a capacity thing as it is. They can kind of maintain the crowds and see who is going into uh, parks in in any given day. But when you're out of state, like I am uh, you don't have the luxury of being there and going, Oh man, it's really crowded. It's really hot. Like, i'm bailing like right i am you know hard in i I'm, I'm there for the entire day i paid for the for this trip um so you basically have to either suck it up and deal with it or hey lightning lane It's it's only 20 bucks more what's
0: what's the you know what's another 20 bucks and, and i'm sure it's going to come into play a lot and there is a value to the lightning mm-hmm. lane when you look at the video that Dylan and I did standby versus lightning lane where we showed exactly how much more you can get done. Dylan was able to do twice as much as me by paying $20 more. So as an individual, 20 bucks isn't that much family of five, it's a hundred dollars. It gets to be a little bit more, you know, kind of costly, but something else I want to break down today. And we'll get to this more in the end of today's discussion is that a dollar is worth something different to everybody. $20 for a genie plus is not the same for everyone. For some people, that is an unimaginable amount of money for their family. If I'm like, we're already like putting money on the credit card just to go to the park today. So there's no way we're going to do $100 just to skip the lines. And then other people, $20, like why would I not spend that, you know? And I know people in my life that are on both ends of that spectrum. But the next thing that I want to tell you is one of Disney's newest tricks for profitability and squeezing out more. And I think this is probably one of the smartest ones on today's list is think about this. Some genius somewhere said, wow, oh, man, 365 days in a year. It's just not enough days. What if we were to take some days and to turn them into two days? And through the power of ticketing time travel, Disney has figured out a way to make some Tuesdays two days. And that's with the after hour parties. And I have a little bit of monkey math for you again here, Tony. There, this year, we're going to do a hybrid of what we know this year and base some stuff off of the last year when the park reopened. So with five sweetheart nights at a starting cost of $114 uh, times 10,000 people a night, that's about $5.7 million. Two villains, villains night at a starting point of 119 that's about $2.3 million. If you do the Star Wars night, uh, that is three nights, starting tickets one thirty four. Not even going to talk about how high the tickets go for when celebrations in town. That ends up being I think uh four million, and then with twenty five oogie boogie nights, starting ticket at one fourteen. That's like twenty eight million, and then five Marius nights, one hundred and sixty five dollars each. That's about eight point two million. So what I've just broken down is a way to add on forty extra days. So where everybody else is living at 365 days of the year, Disneyland is now operating at 405 plus days and to the tune of an additional $50 million. And that's me going with 10,000 people per event and the lowest ticket possible. So the idea of taking the day, it in half right now with just me doing like bare minimal money, I've already got Disney at like 160, $170 million more per year off of two things that used to be free. It used to be one cost to go to Disneyland from 8 a.m. to midnight. Now select dates, 40 dates a year, depending on the park. That's cut in half. And the Fast Pass used to be a thing you could get for free. Not now all all cost extra. But you're seeing where this nickel and diming over the year scope, it's uh, pretty serious money. But Mark, it's a party. Who doesn't want to be
1: (laughs) at a party? This is a designated party. Um, no, and that's insane. That's insane money, and it's extremely smart. Whoever thought, of it, I mean, double dipping, who you know, who wouldn't in that instance, but that, that is a considerable amount of money. And I do often wonder too, like, with that many dates booked out, and you're just there with your family, and they're like, Sorry, we're closing early. Like, I'm sure there's signs and stuff everywhere, but that's still a bummer. Is you're like, well, Why is the park closing so early? Like, oh, it's a separate ticketed event that's going to cost you
0: $160. Like, uh, uh. Well, it was a real bum out last year when some of these dates got announced late because they were coming out of the COVID closures. And there were people that had reservations on nights that they didn't know that Oogie Boogie was going to happen that night. And there was people that were planning on going to Disneyland proper that didn't know that Marius Nights was going to happen because historically that had never happened before since it was its inaugural year. I'm not saying that I don't like the after hour parties or events because I I really do like them and I think that there's an extreme value in them. And I always tell people if you're on a budget and you could only go to the park one day a year, pick one of those parties. The VIP experience, if you don't care about the, the photo lines, if you don't care about exclusive treats, if you're just there to enjoy the vibes of the park, the vibes are turned up. And if you're just there to enjoy the rides of the park, the lines are the shortest you're going to find all year long. So I'm not saying that I don't like these dates. I'm just saying that it's a genius trick to take the calendar and to cut it in two. And something else that we've seen from these is certain experiences have now been left only for people that bought the extra ticket so to see certain characters during halloween you had to be a participant of oogie boogie during the holidays if you wanted to see that muppet show on main street you had to be a marius knights holder i mean there are certain things that you only get when you buy these tickets so it's taking experiences too and shoveling them over to well you may be a magic key holder but can we get an extra ticket out of you because your magic key is no good friend when we cut the day in two Yeah. And we haven't even talked about the
1: biggest magic trick that they do, which is where um, as soon as they give you a window for for your party, the time just slips through your fingers. You're having so much fun. There's not enough time. There's never enough time at these events. And it feels like at the start of it, you have all the time in the world and slowly but surely you're looking for special edition churros or some limited merch or this character, this meet and greet. And it just slips through your fingers. And meanwhile... The Disney's already got your money. The, the event, the party is over, and
0: you didn't even know it. Hey, those parties are the fastest four hours. But that being said, with the three hours you get ahead of time, I highly, highly recommend coming to these parties for people that are coming in from out of town, for people that can only go once. This is a must-buy. But it is so smart as a way to get other people that go to the park weekly, monthly, quarterly to go. Eh, I know that I have this key, but this is a way for me to buy another ticket because I figured out a way to cut the day in two. The next one that I have on my list, which is interesting, like really interesting. Let's talk about perceived value, right? Everything in this world has a perceived value to it. So when you buy an annual pass, what it does is you say, oh, well, back in the days before Magic Keys, buying the pass, the perceived value was I can go to Disneyland any day that I want to. So part of the freedom that you had from that was you could go whenever you want. From people that are coming in from out of town, all they had to do was buy a ticket. That's why the greatest next magic trick, and it's something that if I was a business owner, I would never get rid of this, is the theme park reservation, right? Now, even though technically the theme park doesn't cost you any extra, the reason why it's a magic trick is you used to just be able to go whenever you want. And even though there's not an extra ticket cost associated to it, it's now you have an ownership over your date, right? Your visit. So you're more apt to not cancel. If you have that date and you have that reservation, you're going to hold on to it and you're going to go. Whereas before it's like, maybe we'll go to Disneyland on Friday. Things happen. Thursday's busy. You look over at your partner and you go, it's been a rough week. I don't know if I've got it in me to go to Disney tomorrow night. But now come hell or high water, you will fight your way there because you have the sacred reservation. And also something that, that really had kind of no value to you now or used to have no value is now the most valued thing for Magic Keyholders. What do you hear keyholders talk about the most? Reservations, reservations, all the blogs, when there's more reservations, they go up. So even though there's not a hard cost on it, it is one of the most valuable things. And I say not only does it make people cancel less, it's making people go more because you used to have the idea of, I bought this pass and I can go however many times I want to. But now that you're limited to three, five, six at a time, you want to make sure that you're using those so that you're getting your value. So, The reservation, I think, has made the actual going to Disneyland feel more valuable. It's added more ownership to the dates that you get. Therefore, once again, something that you never even thought about before has an extreme value to it.
1: Yeah, the reservation system is the equivalent of, like, asking your mom to drive you to the mall because, like... You need that like uh, th- that chaperone to tell you can go and do something. You no longer have free reign to just go to the mall with your friends whenever you want. You got to check in. You got to have somebody get you in there to have a good time. But also, too, I mean, that whole reservation system is just pure data. And yeah. we are living in a data-driven world. And that is the biggest resource that giant conglomerates use so yeah that system is never going away because they have pinpoint accuracy with reservations and they can see everything everything they need to know they can get with that information and it's yeah it's not going away anytime soon
0: when i see some of my peers say oh you know reservations will probably go away or they root for them to go away i say are you insane like why would you ever ever get rid of that data the thing i could see them doing before they get rid of reservations is creating a service where you can get the reservations faster than everybody else, like a lightning lane for reservations. Or I could also see them doing some sort of thing in the app where it's like, you know, win the daily lottery refresh your app at two o'clock to catch any reservations that it opened up day of, you know, like I could like, there is no reason to give that back for free. In fact, none of these things will go away. This will be the, the basis of everything moving forward. Um, so that's why I thought it would be interesting at this moment to talk about what's next, because we've given you three big examples, and I'd love to hear from you at home. You know, We've looked at the fast pass, We've looked at the actual just date to go there, and we've also looked at cutting the day in half to do the upsell for the after-hour parties. The original upcharge of something that should have just been free or included with your ticket was parking, right? Like, Everybody knows parking is the biggest scam that ever existed. Every arena, every convention center, every theme park, parking is the scam that just won't die. How many times over do you think Mickey and friends parking structure has paid for itself? How long do you think that it took them to pay for the toy story parking lot? Like owning a parking lot is like owning a a gold mine or um, an oil uh, refinery because it just doesn't stop making money. Invest in parking. Bitcoin's going to go away, but parking is forever.
1: Pretty much. yeah. I couldn't have said it better.
0: Exactly. I think also something that we're looking at for the future, and this is, think about this, could transportation be something that Disney charges for in the future. Now, I don't know about my precious Disneyland, but when we look out at Walt Disney World, there was the free shuttle service that people absolutely loved. That has gone away. So in essence, Disney's not charging for it, but there is that new company that's popped up that you can use that has the buses that looks like trains. But would we ever see Disney on property do a transportation service is that a place to squeeze in an extra upsell?
1: Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if it makes sense for Disneyland just because it's so small comparatively to Disney World. But hey, I am going uh, this coming Wednesday, and I actually booked the new. It's called Mears Connect. Is the new shuttle service? And yeah, it was free. It was free. It was run by Disney. Well, in conjunction with Mears, uh, that the busing company. And so it's bizarre to have, to like, I have to go to a separate portal. I booked, it. I think it was like $30 a person round trip to and from the airport. They take you to your resort, but it's something where I got so used to that service. And then I was like, oh, I have to pay for this now. Yeah. And it was a total bum out, but yeah. I'm like, yeah, it is what it is. But yeah, they got 30 extra bucks out of me for something that was
0: free. Again, it's not Disney anymore, but still, yeah, I, I bought into it. Well, that's an interesting one too, where if Disney steps away from things, it opens a, a room for the private sector to come in. So now there is this other transportation service that's in there. I'd be curious did they have to buy any sort of licensing deal? You know, I mean, if Disney's recommending their shuttles at all, then there's got to be some sort of exchange in there. But another one that uh, an item that was free. You know, part of your your ticket. I guess nothing's technically free when you're buying a ticket to get in. But the character meet and greet. We're seeing characters at two parks out on the East Coast: uh, Magic Kingdom and Hollywood Studios. They have select character meet and greets. Vast amount of them are still free. But here uh, on the West Coast, what's the future of the reimagined Toontown? And a little guesstimate is the three hundred dollars for you and ten of your friends to get ninety minutes inside of Mickey's House. I mean, that is already a thing that you could just stand in line all day for to do the character meet and greet. Now it's you, 10 of your friends, $300 to do activities inside of 90 minutes in his house. And I'll say this. I get a lot of pushback on these episodes where people are like, well, did you ever think that maybe they can't do these things because of COVID? Go to the park right now. COVID doesn't exist, bro. It is. Everybody is packed everywhere you look. Every ride vehicle has somebody sitting in every single seat, all of the buildings. The only thing that you can tell is that people are wearing masks when they go indoors and the park looks junky because there's little hand sanitizer things now strapped to the different, uh, light fixtures, which don't really match the original integrity of the light fixtures. So character meet and greets didn't come back at our park. Uh, well, the specific, specific ones in Toontown didn't come back. That's just a scheduling thing. Cause Everything else that is in that same realm of COVID protocol is back online. But they did find a way to get 10 people in there for $300. So character meet and greets. Some will still be free, but an upcharge for those that are willing to pay.
1: I'll only pay extra if I can go hang out with Doofus. And, oh.
0: Because who doesn't want to hang with Doofus? I feel like he'd be pretty cheap, actually. Doofus is one of my favorite characters. All right. Another one is, do you think, and this is one, once again, me projecting, But people have complained so much about mobile ordering and the dining reservation system has become one of the most complicated things here at Disneyland. We don't have as many sit down restaurants as they do out on the East coast. So the ones that we do have, it's like I literally could probably make a couple of phone calls and get into club 33. I have no idea how to get into blue Bayou. You know what I mean? Like it's insane. So my question is this, do you think there could be a lightning lane, for mobile orders for example when you do doordash it's it's 45 minutes to get your food here but if you do the the you know that's for standard but if you do the expedite pay five dollars more you can get your food here faster or another question for you do you think there would ever be a service where it's like if you pay for the service or you do an upgrade you can as soon as reservations become available they will be allotted to you versus having to wait in line for it. You could just say, "I want reservations on this date when they open up," because you're reservation plus because you got to put a plus next to everything these days. Then they would just know that you want a table on June 5th when June 5th opens up. Boom! It goes over into your account.
1: Well, thank you, Mark, for manifesting this into reality <laughs> because this is going to happen. He's this is literally like as Mark was talking about this uh (laughs) this dinner reservation or dining reservation system i was just like having like terminator 2 like future scenes play out of my mind of like people fighting to get reservations because it's going to happen like we think park reservations are bad wait till they start charging for uh dining reservations yeah it is uh man dining is such a mess right now and i don't think so much oh mobile order can get pretty crazy too but especially I know just experience out in Disney world reservations are still extremely hard to come by. People are having to go to like third party websites to get like, yeah. you know, pay money to try to figure out when they can get a reservation in. And because here's the thing is like, I think any Disney trip, you always want to have at least like one nice sit down, you know, dinner just or breakfast in, something. in your back. Gotta apartment. have, yeah. gotta have one. Yeah. So to not have that, you're just, standing around eating corn dog nuggets or churros and stuff like it gets real old, real fast. So yeah. I 100% did not even think that that was a possibility, but now that you have uh, brought it into reality, that is a hundred percent coming. I would uh, not be surprised if uh, a Disney exec was listening to this somehow. And they were like, Mark, this was on my list. <laughs> you just made it reality. So thanks Mark. Thank you for, for all of
0: the Disney park fans, because that's, that's on you now. Friends. You're all welcome. Uh, I don't think I'm too far off from flirting this type of an idea because there's already the idea of dining packages to get you preferred seating for nighttime shows. So if you do a world of color dining package over at Carthay Circle, you'd get the world of color spot. I'm assuming that these will be around for Fantasyland. So in a way, the premier seat or spot has already existed, but it was sort of a, a, a transactional thing where, well, since you bought a nice meal, you're also a part of this. But I would think that that space is one to keep your eyes on because they're getting aggressive on trying to figure out where can we put a ticket where there wasn't one before. And then sort of another one to back up this idea is we've had Club 33 uh, in New Orleans Square for decades. For two decades, we've had 1901. Well, not two decades, 10 years plus. We've had 1901 uh, at the base of Carthay Circle. So there's two small locations that are for Certain people of a certain tier, Club 33 members. However, now we're getting the Magic Key Terrace uh, at DCA. So there is half of a restaurant that only people that have spent a certain amount of money are allowed to go to. And I just want to sort of get people used to this idea as they're getting aggressive as a business, as they're, they're finding more and more ways to make the park more profitable. I think this is the new rule you should live by so that you don't get blown away and your feelings don't get hurt if it has a gate. If it has a door, if there's a rope to get to it, if it has a seat, if it can be defined as a spot in any sort of a line, real world or virtual, it can and it will be sold. And I think that Disneyland is really in many ways a mirror to the society that it's supposed to be an escape from because ticket prices will always go up, but now we'll learn, so will the experiences. We now live in a Disneyland that is designed to be a multi-tier pricing structure. So therefore, Disneyland now has an upper class, which is the Club 33 member. It has a upper middle class, which are the those that are willing to do Genie Plus and those that are willing to do the the paper ride and buy all the extras. It has just a middle class of people that are willing to pay a ticket and go in and buy food and merchandise. And it even has a lower class of people that are only able to afford to go in with a ticket, bring their own lunches, leave the park for their, their food. Don't do merchandise and don't do any of the upgrades. They stand in the back for the fireworks. They wait in an hour and a half line for rise of the resistance. And in many ways, I think Walt would be very happy about this, because this means that Disneyland is finally a real city full of its own classes and its own structure they have found a way to completely make escapism mirror the reality that we're trying to get away from
1: yep and I have been at both ends of those spectrums so yeah it's it is what it is there's definitely yeah there's a a class system in there but hey it's all good because now I can say that I am a uh, club 33 adjacent. So <laughs> there we go. We're going to be up in that Vista looking out and uh, sipping on, uh, I don't know what they serve up there. They have to have some glow grapes or something, hopefully for we're, us. We'll Cause you know, we're, we're, we're
0: 33 adjacent. We get glow grapes. That's right. Just one step down. Magic key. <laughs> Friends, there is a quick look at the new Disney tricks that they're using to make their park more profitable, finding different ways to uh, charge for things where they didn't in the past. And I want to let everybody know that I'm working on a video right now because there is a movement that's happening online where there is a shareholder uh, vote that's coming up. And a lot of people are starting to float out the idea that if you are a shareholder and you're unhappy with the way that the park is going, maybe vote no against Bob Chapek. I want to kind of, get in there and realize uh and investigate how much power do the shareholders actually have and then again like what do we actually know about Chapic is he just been the mascot for all things that have gone wrong and uh it's definitely an interesting time in the parks but i thought that looking at the new tricks that disney's using to make the parks more profitable would be an interesting way to sort of project where the company's going and to just get prepared for what might be around the corner and hey there's lots of theme parks you have lots of decisions nobody's making you go so if this becomes a push too much a push too much you always have the right to spend your money and your time elsewhere tony thank you so much for hanging out with me Thank you. This is great.
1: And you made me realize that I have bought into like three out of four of these things, I think. Uh something like that. So yeah, I do the I do the parties, I do the the shuttles, I do yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty uh, pretty much into the Disney park uh, ecosystem heavily. So
0: It's working. Friends, if you want to listen to uh, an hour more of content, join us right now over at club1313.com. That is the community that helps support all of my content. We have an amazing Discord where people are on there hanging out all the time, meeting up in the parks, having a good time. We just had our one-year anniversary, which was so exciting to really build this fun and exciting community. And on top of that, you get more content that other folks don't get on the podcast or over on YouTube youtube friends until the next time i see you standing in the middle of the park with your phone out going oh my god i just paid what for what that used to be free i'll see you back here next week with another episode of disneyland for designers with my good friend tony mendez